Hi, everyone. This is a bonus episode of Turning Points, celebrating the Boston Marathon. I'm Francis Lees, and Turning Points is sponsored by Harvard Pilgrim Healthcare and Tufts Health Plan. The show is all about navigating mental health. We wanted to bring you this special episode to remind you that mental health is something we all have to work at, even Olympians. So today, you're going to hear a conversation with a true icon of running, Joan Benoit Samuelson. She won the Boston Marathon twice, in 1979 and in 1983. And then in 1984, she went on to win the gold in the Olympics' very first women's marathon in L.A. Joan has spent her career setting new records in her age group and wowing her fans with her speed. In fact, a couple years ago, she ran the Boston Marathon again at age 61 and finished within 30 minutes of her 1979 time. So it's safe to say that Joan is pretty unstoppable. But of course, being both physically and mentally fit enough to keep running marathons takes work. She spoke with me about both her physical training and how she managed some intense anxiety earlier in her career. Joan, thank you so much for uh, chatting with us today. So first, I want to talk a little bit about resilience, which is something that you embody. For listeners who don't know your story of how you became a runner, can you tell us how that came to be? Well, I became a runner in high school, but the spark that launched my career really happened when I was in grade school, when I was visiting with cousins in Connecticut during the summer, and they had a local gymkhana, which included many running events. And I remember a mother saying to another mother, look at that young runner. Look how he holds his arms when he runs. And he was winning all of the running races. So I took note, note to self, so to speak, about how he looked when he ran. And I followed suit during my running races and wound up winning a lot of blue ribbons as a guest. And I don't think the locals thought too highly about my doing so. So that really started my interest in running. And then my sophomore year in high school, I broke my leg ski racing and started to run as a form of rehab and found that running was very affordable and accessible. I didn't have to wait for the snow. I didn't have to drive to the mountains. I didn't have to buy a lot of expensive equipment. And I really enjoyed it. So I've been running ever since. Beautiful. So I'd like to talk a little bit about the pressures to perform as an athlete. And as you look back on your career, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that pressure and what it feels like and how you handled it. Well, first of all, I want to thank all the athletes who have brought mental health to the foreground because it really is an issue for elite athletes as well as student athletes in high school and college and beyond. So I think publicly it really started with Michael Phelps, and I want to thank him for being that spokesperson. But it's a problem for me, especially when I look back on my career, I think being the underdog going into L.A., 
couple of months post arthroscopic knee surgery, and it was only 17 days after arthroscopic surgery that I ran the Olympic trials in Olympia, Washington, and everybody had sort of written me off. So I really didn't feel a lot of pressure going into the trials. It was a coup that I was actually able to get to the starting line. I did qualify. I finished first. I don't know how I even completed that marathon, but my time in the trials was 2.31. And I ran side for side with Betty Jo Springs for most of the race. And then when I broke from her, I just kept saying to myself, you've just got to keep looking forward and moving forward. And if somebody had passed me in the latter stages of the race, I think all the runners in the race would have passed me. I was really headstrong and determined to make the first women's Olympic team. And somehow I was able to make that team. And then Going into L.A., again, I was not the favorite. The favorite was the great late Greta Whites. So all the pressure was on Greta. But in the Olympic Village, Greta let down her guard a little bit and was complaining about back spasms. So I knew she had some vulnerability, and I went in for the hunt, so to speak, and broke from the pack early on. And the broadcasters, the commentators thought I had made a grave error, but I was not running very efficiently. I was in a a closely knit pack of runners at about the 5K mark. I always tell people to run their own race, and I wasn't running my own race. I was running their race, so I took the chance and broke early on and just never looked back. And then I didn't expect anybody to be in the Coliseum. I thought, who's going to come out and watch a bunch of women run for the first time in the Olympics on a Sunday morning? And when I was approaching the Coliseum, and I heard a lot of people get to their feet, and all of a sudden I realized that there were people in that Coliseum. And I came down the ramp into the tunnel of darkness leading into the Coliseum. And remember stuttering in my stride for just a nanosecond, really, wondering if I was to emerge into the light on the other side of the tunnel, would I be able to carry the mantle that comes along with an Olympic victory? And somehow I decided that I'd figure it out and that I'd always give back to a sport and to a community that had given so much to me. And I've tried to live by that ever since. I love to run. I still love to run to this day. And I think it's the passion that athlete really needs to have in order to have success. Because if they're doing it for somebody else, if they're doing it for a coach or a parent or whomever, it's not as easy to really own it, if you will. And I owned it totally. I totally owned it. And I totally ran to the beat of my own drum. And I think that is one of my most important attributes as an athlete. And it served me well throughout my life in all venues. Well, you had mentioned earlier Michael Phelps. And as you know, elite athletes like Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka most notably have been in the news lately for speaking about their mental health and have been both praised and also criticized for taking breaks from competing. And this was the first year that a mental health service team actually traveled with Team USA to the Olympics to offer support to the athletes. What do you make of the attention around mental health and elite athletes and 
Do you think it's much different now than when you were in the Olympics? Yes, very much so. And kudos to Simone and Naomi for coming out and talking about mental health and their challenges. I think you'll see more and more athletes, and we already have coming out, whether they're Olympic athletes or, or high school athletes or college athletes or professional athletes. I think the entourages that athletes bring to the important events is more and more popular. You see more and more athletes bringing a massage therapist, a psychologist, sometimes even doctors or physios or whomever. And during a time of competition or high pressure performances, you need to be really comfortable with the people who surround you. And actually the people who I had surrounding me were primarily family members and close friends who really knew nothing about running. And they kept me balanced. And I think in athletics, you always have to be careful or aware of the mind, body, spirit triad. And I think it's very important to balance all those components. So I would do my training and then I just walked away from it and surrounded myself with people who knew me as who I was as a multifaceted person and not just as a runner. People that could help you stay grounded. Yes, and that's so important. That's why I live where I live, and that's why I never wanted to go from pillar to post during competitions or appearances. I always wanted to come home. And my therapist is my garden, <laughs> to be honest with you. I like to get home and, you know, I'll put a headlamp on if I get home late at night and I'll go see what's been growing since I was away. And being grounded in places that you're very comfortable with is very important. And I never like going to big events any earlier than I absolutely have to because I want to stay as balanced and as grounded as I can before a big competition. So let's talk a little about your mental health journey. Has there ever been a time when you realized you needed to take some time to focus on your mental health? I've dealt with anxiety. And I dealt with anxiety as a young mother when I cut my mileage significantly. I refer to my career as BC and AD, before children and after diapers. And it used to be that I scheduled my day around my running. And then when we had children, I scheduled my running around the day. And that was the biggest difference. And my endorphins just plummeted and the anxiety built. And I struggled with that for about a year. And I never medicated because I didn't know if we would have more children. And I just don't like to take medication of any sort unless I absolutely have to. And I did a lot of reading. And I decided that if I could incorporate one run a week hard run of about 13 miles, that maybe things would balance out again. So I started to do that one long run and things balanced out very quickly. I remember I had a, a parent scheduled in Boston and I was running along the Charles and I literally blacked out. I was very nervous about the presentation and I wound up in the hospital ER because I didn't know what was going on. And this happened a couple times. And then I realized this is anxiety. So when anybody ever tells me they have a problem with anxiety, I'm very sympathetic and empathetic. It's awful. It's absolutely awful. But me trying to balance my life 
figured it out. And it's not always easy. You know, I found that balance point, so to speak, and it hasn't been an issue since. And if I do start to feel anxious, I call on all the little gimmicks that I had to overcome, like breathing especially. And it doesn't happen often. You know, the best advice anybody gave me was to breathe deeply from your belly button. It slows me down and helps me. You know, I know that doesn't work for everybody, but again, I, I, I've, to this point in my life, I've been blessed and charmed, and I just figure it out mostly in a holistic approach. Uh, you know, people will say I'm mentally tough, and I, I guess I am. Even now at my age, coming off a partial knee replacement, you know, I haven't been running much. Fortunately, I'm able to do a lot of cycling, and that gives me my endorphin fix. I'm doing very little running. I just ran my first race post-surgery and since COVID. And I ran almost two minutes faster per mile over the longest distance I've run since the surgery. And again, God knows how I did that. How did I qualify for the Olympics after the arthroscopic surgery? All I have to say is it's mind over matter. So you've been able to just adapt and transition, you know, especially when you said you had the injuries and then you were told you had to stay put for a little bit. What does that feel like for you to have to stop doing the one thing that you really love doing? So far, it's worked out. I mean, it used to be I'd get on my bike and I'd see runners out there and I'd go, darn, I want to be running, not cycling, but not so much anymore. And I'm balancing the cycling and now the swimming in the ocean and a little bit of running. You know, if I were to do a triathlon right now, my weakest link would be the running. I'd be stronger on my bike and stronger in the water than I would running. Who would have ever thought? And again, with injuries, I've done a lot of swimming. I've taught myself really how to swim through injury. I mean, I went to a high school that had a perennial powerhouse in swimming. And the swim season opened up the week after I broke my leg skiing. So I never joined the team. You just make do with what you have and what you can do. And somehow you have to make peace with that and move on. No, I think it's a valuable lesson because oftentimes life will ask you to pivot. And sometimes we can get locked into a certain identity or get locked into a certain way of life. But the pivot is where the strength is, like being able to, like you say, accept where you are in the moment and then manage whatever life has dealt you at that time. Well, that goes back to marathoning being a metaphor for life because in marathoning, we never know what's going to be around the next bend in the road. To this day, think that if I hadn't had the knee issues before the Olympics in 84, I would have overtrained and never made the team. So it's derailed me, so to speak, in a positive way. And I have an older brother who is a retired doctor, and he always harped on me, rest is the basis of all activity. And I sort of agree that, but I don't live by that. But rest can be not just like not doing anything, right? Rest could be very different things. And so something you mentioned earlier that being in your garden and really appreciating nature, what is your relationship like with nature and how does it affect your mental health, you know, being outdoors and being surrounded by nature? Oh, I love being outdoors. I'm a purist when it comes to gardening. I start all my seedlings by seeds. My signature crop is celery because I mulch my garden with seaweed that washes up on the 
coast. You know, that's strength training because I lugged these bushel baskets of seaweed up to the garden. So the celery absorbs the salt. Also have, you know, heirloom tomatoes, basil, the regular stuff, beans. I, I love beans. I have climbing beans and bush beans and sugar snaps. When we first moved into our house, a neighbor said, you have to have your peas in by Patriot's Day if you want peas by the 4th of July. So every year before the Boston Marathon, I make sure I have peas in the ground before I come to Boston. That's a given. I can't go to Boston until I have my peas in the ground. There are a lot of life lessons in gardening, just like there are a lot of life lessons in marathoning. Yeah, I can imagine with uh, gardening, it's about like just the patience because you can't really, you know, Mother Nature's never in a rush. <laughs> so it's a big lesson that we could actually take away from that whole process. Now, this episode is going to be aired on Marathon Monday. Is there anything else you want to say to anyone out there running the marathon right now? I would just tell all the people who are running the Boston Marathon, especially those of you who are running it for the first time, just to enjoy the journey. Thank you, Joan. Thanks, Francis. I just want to take a moment to highlight some of the strategies Joan has for keeping her trademark resilience. She focuses on moving forward rather than ruminating over setbacks. She surrounds herself with people that make her feel grounded. And she nurtures a deep connection to nature. These are things that any of us can do. And getting out into nature is probably the easiest strategy. It's pretty well documented that being out in nature is really good for your mental health. It can calm the nervous system, lower stress hormones, and improve your mood. So it's no wonder that Joan's first instinct when she returns home from some high-pressure event is to head straight to her garden. And to all of you running the marathon today, I'm rooting for all of you. You've trained for this day, and you're ready for this. Someone once said, it's never about the destination. It's who you become along the journey. Visit globe.com forward slash turning points, one word, for more information on mental health care and resources. Thank you for joining us for Turning Points. Thanks to our production team at Pod People, Maria Louisa Tucker, Brian Rivers, Matt Sav, Eric Zeller, and Rachel King. And special thanks to Harvard Pilgrim Healthcare and Tufts Health Plan and the Studio B team at Boston Globe Media. Harvard Pilgrim Healthcare and Tufts Health Plan are committed to guiding and supporting members on their behavioral health journeys, connecting them to the services, tools, and support they need.